Into the wild I'll go and into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Into the wild I'll go into the wild I am It's been a while, freedom child Since I left my roots back home Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. This is a radical space for women who are ready to celebrate their autonomous choices in birth, motherhood, and beyond. Together, we'll learn about wild birth through personal narrative, we'll explore the politics of birth, and we'll analyze everything that relates to our lives as women from a feminist perspective. Here's your host, Emily Saldea. It's been a wild freedom Imagine a world where girls are properly initiated into their first bleed, where mothers and daughters talk freely and openly about their bodies, and where women care for themselves and each other outside the lens of medical pathology. We can have this world, but we can't do it without you. Kristen Hauser and Nancy Lucina are bringing the first ever Blood Mystery School to Freebirth Society this winter, a four-month journey alchemizing the sacred and the science of the power of the womb. You will learn how to properly initiate and reinitiate women and girls through powerful rites of passage, support the women in your community through cycle issues, womb pain, and hormonal imbalances, and take a deep dive into the spiritual and energetic components of our blood mysteries. If you are a birth keeper, an energy healer, a postpartum worker, an herbalist, this school is for you. And if you're a woman wanting to dive deep into your own healing for you and your lineage, this school is for you. If you are ready to be a part of the generation of women healing the hormonal chaos and womb trauma that runs rampant in our female bodies, head over to bloodmysteryschool.com and enroll today. We begin February 2nd. Devana's pregnancy with her first son was a wake-up call to the consequences of trusting in a system that doesn't serve women. After a traumatizing and completely unnecessary surgical birth, she found the fire within her to say never again and chose the guidance of her inner voice above all. Today, Devana shares with us her beautiful journey of moving from confusion to courage, her process of learning how robbed she was in her first birth, and how she took all of her power back in the ecstatic dream birth of her second son, attended by one of our very own Radical Birth Keeper graduates. Divine Devana! Hi, friend. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Free Birth Society podcast. Ah, a dream come true to be here. <laughs> it's so fun. I know we have a, an awesome story in store for everyone today. Quite a, quite a redemptive one, as all VBAC stories are. So I'm just going to pass it right off to you, wherever you want to start this tale of motherhood okay thank you so i will start with my first pregnancy with my son cairo so when i found out i was pregnant my partner and i at the time were separated he was in bali and i was in california and i left bali we were there together and the day before i was leaving he got the download we were in ceremony and he said i have to set you free you have to go on your path and choose if I'm the one you were to be with. He just got this message from spirit and he wrote in a letter. He also wrote me this cute and beautiful letter. And he wrote, you are going on your 
initiation into womanhood and he spelled it w-o-m-d-a-n womanhood okay because i was at the time i was going back to the states to teach at an all women's gathering graduate from herbalism school and teach at another women's retreat so i had these big woman things i was going on and he's like you need to be free and so when i got back i found out i was pregnant and oh my god <laughs> wow which was all part of the initiation that I had to go through because my mom became really verbally and emotionally abusive when she found out that I was pregnant. I, went, oh. I was living with her and it was a whole dark night of the soul that I was going on every day. My mom asking me, are you going to get an abortion? Are you going to get an abortion? Because her own fears were coming in as being a single mom when she was 19 with my sister. <sighs> so she wanted so, you to terminate. Yeah. Wow. She was, well, she's had like many abortions. So for her, it was like nothing like better than ruining your life in her mind. So I had that voice in addition to my own. And I had through my insurance, I went to go visit the doctor. So I right away, I went into the hospital route of it, going to get my checkups and then switching insurance and getting, going to a different doctor and crying every day, being on the phone with all bear, working through all the things, all of my biggest fears. And so when he came back to the States, we ultimately decided to go through with it. We were in the parking lot of Mother's Market. It's so funny, this restaurant market in Cali. And we were sitting and listening to our friend's song, Say Yes to Life is the name of the song. <laughs> and we were singing, Say Yes to Life. You're right. <laughs> and just singing, we're like, yeah. That same day, we also had an appointment at the clinic because we just wanted to like see, move through the steps. It was, that's what I had to go through. I had to just move through all the steps, see what all my options were, really feel into it all. We decided yes. And then we went back to Bali together, leading a retreat. We're still slowly coming back into our relationship. It was really like us completely starting all over. Wow. Um, so it was beautiful for us. It was what I needed for my healing journey. And and then I started doing care in Bali at Bumi Sehat, which is this beautiful, um, gentle birthing center, they call it, where they had water birth pools and they sing the Gayatri mantra as the baby's coming out and they do lotus births. And it runs by donation with Robin Lim. She's an amazing midwife that people love in the community. And so... That was, that was going to be my plan. And from the moment I w walked in there, it was changing because they were no longer allowing water births because they said the government doesn't allow them because they're not safe. So that was already my first like, eh, this isn't going how you think it is. And so continued to have little checkups there. And then a volcano erupted. <laughs> So, uh -huh. <laughs> that's amazing you don't get to say that every day in a story yeah, you don't get to say that every day so there, there was talk of it erupting there were little eruptions so we flew back to cali Crazy. and instead of moving there that was going to be our plan the big eruption happened literally the day after we left all the airports were closed for weeks Whoa. and we decided to stay in california and not birth at Bumi Sehat or with the midwife there in Bali. So we stayed in Cali. And by this point, I'm kind of just like exhausted. And I was just like, okay, we'll just go with my insurance now with this insurance. And I chose to enter into the hospital thinking that I would be able to have a story of you can birth naturally without medicine in a hospital. And I was going into the battlefield Right. Was it largely financial that you didn't look at a home birth situation? Large. It was, that was a big part of it was, oh, I didn't have $6,000 at that time to just hand over to a midwife. Oh, right. That was like one. And yeah. And the other, I found a birthing center that was five minutes from my house and they took my insurance and they stopped taking new clients at 36 weeks and I was 37 weeks and I was like crying I was like please was there anything I could do I'm so healthy everything's going great please and they were like nope so they wouldn't take me <sighs> so I just stayed the course with the OBGYN 
who I really didn't like. And she was saying things to me that were really outrageous, but I still kept going because that is where I was at the time. Really? Yeah. I didn't know you were bred to be like to be completely disassociated. Like you, and and this is such an example of, of so many women, like you're this spiritual retreat leader, like doing ceremony and healing and all this amazing stuff. And then there's still this weird hardwired part of us that is so loyal to the system. And, and I find it in myself too. It's totally not a, like a critique of other women. It's all of us. It's, it's so us. weird. It's so weird. It's so deep. It's literally it's what we're born into and what we're programmed with. And my own wounding of listening to authority and not totally. speaking up for myself when I feel uncomfortable or yeah, I, we were just, it wasn't in a match from the very beginning. I told her that I wanted to do water birth originally. And she was like, oh, those are so dangerous. You know, like right <laughs> away, wasn't on that, on that path. Uh. Um, and I would do all the checkups and I felt so uncomfortable when they would stick their fingers inside me and do all these things. And, and I would be like, can I see the ingredients inside that? Like, what is that gel you're using? Like, I just wasn't on board with it, but I still kept going. And showing up and having to pee in a cup and getting my weight and blood pressure, just all the things and just went through it. Like I just, just in it. And I remember at 38 weeks, she said to me, what are you an elephant? Because elephants carry their young in utero for two years. And so she was referring to that. I'm, I'm like overdue because I was 38 weeks and she wanted to induce me. She kept wanting to induce me. And I remember I was just like, no, I've read all the books. You're doing all the things that they talk about. And then she mentioned at one of my last appointments that a family member or family friend died and the funeral is coming up. So like essentially letting me know that she has plans coming up. So letting me know, like we're on a watch now. I wonder how many women she's used that elephant line on. Uh like hundreds, thousands, you know, I wonder. And it's interesting that she was willing to be um, so transparent in her total narcissistic abuse. Mm. It's so interesting, right? Because a lot of doctors do not reveal that they're trying to make a date, you know, but I've certainly seen as a doula, plenty of doctors roll into the room and be like one woman. Oh my God. Oh, this is so awful. She rolls in with the vacuum thing in her hand the woman's pushing and she literally says I have to pick my kid up at five. Oh. oh my god <gasps> what <sighs> and you bet your ass that baby was out by 4 30 stitched up and and gone you know it's just anyway that's crazy okay wow. so she says funeral she as says if- funeral as in like she's gonna yeah. be needing to go go sometime soon coming up yeah totally. And then she's telling me, oh, she pulls up the, old, um, the image of my placenta and she's showing me how, how it's deterior- starting to deteriorate. Oh my God, what a horrible and, woman. Yeah. You know, what's really cool about all this is that I only had one ultrasound because for some reason, even in Bali, everyone kept saying, oh, you're too early. You're too early. There's no need. So that was kind of interesting that I only had one ultrasound and it was at like 32 weeks. And they're like, whoa, you're, you've only had, this is your first one. They were like shocked. Yeah. Yeah. And then she was showing me later on that my placenta was deteriorating. Um, So how are you emotionally at this point? You're 38 weeks, your doctor fucking sucks, stressing you out, telling you that things are weird and that you're some big elephant. Like, are Mm -hmm. you tripping or are you like, okay. Like, what is it like? I feel like that's, that's me, the natural. It's like, even though there was this, I was uncomfortable. It's like, I could be comfortable in the uncomfortable. And I think that's where the wounding is where it's like, instead of being like, fuck you, I'm out. I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to keep going. I'm just going to keep going. Even though this sucks. I'll just deal with it. I'll just deal with it. Oh, I'll just deal with it. Exactly. And it's like, the energy feels like it's like this old, it's an old program that I'm just still in. 
Yeah. Okay. So, you know, I'm also tired. It's kind of like feeling tired and also confused because it's like, what are my other options? What can I do? I remember I would sit in my house and be like, can I just birth in my bathtub? Like, what can I do? I didn't even know that that was an option because I, I hadn't yet found free birth society until the very end. I think that's when I found the Instagram page um, or even heard that term. And remember thinking like, wow, like you could just do it on your own. Like, what do you have to buy? You have to buy all these tools and all these things, you know, just wondering how, how that's possible. And so now I'm uh, 41 weeks and then I got to, and then I was coming in for the non-stress test. They were having me do that, which is so weird because they have you lie down on your back and then they monitor you where the whole time you're told not to lie on your back. Right. right. So but just, now you can stress the baby out because now we want to C-section you. Exactly. <laughs> so like lay on your back, we're going to strap you to this thing and it was fine. And then I went and now I'm okay. So now I'm 42 and two days. Well, so I kept going and I was holding on because I would, did not feel safe. Right. And yeah, so, you're an elephant. Yeah. I'm an elephant. <laughs> we're going to go two more years. Um, <laughs> And so I am on, on the chair. I remember this perfectly. They have me on the thing. They're looking at the paper and they're like, oh, oh, we're going we're gonna to take you up to labor and delivery. This, this something looks weird. And I remember his heartbeat is, keeps dropping. So then they put me in a wheelchair and wheel me to labor and delivery, even though I felt perfectly fine. I could have walked. And so they wheelchair me up. Then they strap me into another. So now I'm in the labor and delivery room and they hook me up to another non-stress test. <sighs> and mind you, this the day before I was already in there for hours because they were monitoring me um, also in the labor and delivery room. And so I remember that morning that when I woke up, I was like, I'm not going, I'm so tired. They called me, they're like, we want you to come in today. And I just took my sweet time and just made breakfast. It was International Woman's Day. I did some meditation with Goddess Rising. I just went really slow over there, took an Uber. So now, mind you, so now I'm in labor, labor and delivery room. I'm, I remember I, I, the, I ate something and they're like, no, you can't eat anything in case something happens and we need a, you need to go into surgery. And I remember just like, what do you mean? Everything's fine. And so, oh, that's so scary. No, and is Albert with you? No, he's at work. Oh, okay. Albert's at work in San Diego, so he's about an hour away from where I am. And then the the nurse. So when I get into the room, the nurse, I'm like, "Are they going to make me do pictocin?" I said that to her, and she was like, "Honey, you don't have to do anything you don't want to do." She was like a cool nurse, right? She said that. So I was like, "Okay," felt a little safer, right? Oh. And then she's like, oh, um, so she like, let me eat some dried mango or something. And then I, at this point I call my mom cause I thought that I was going to go home and I, she was my ride. Cause Albert and I were sharing a car at that time. So I called my mom, my mom gets there to take me home. But next thing you know, they're handing me a clipboard cesarean delivery because the heart rate keeps dropping. His heart rate keeps dropping. She looks at me and she's like, you have to do this for your baby. She's Whoa. like, oh, this doesn't look good. Like his heart rate's gone off the thing, off their monitors. You have to do this for your baby. She looked me in the eye. At that moment, what am I going to do? I'm already exhausted. I'm 42 weeks and two days. I'm freaking strapped up through other things. I'm in it. I'm as deep in it as you can be. A male doctor comes in and goes, wait, let's see how far dilated she is. Maybe we can do this vaginally. So that shows me that it wasn't as big as an emergency as they said it was, because the fact that he was like, hold on, let's see. Right. And so you're not on pit. I'm not on pit. You're not on an epidural. I haven't gone, had any contractions. I don't even know, or, you know, so what, were, were you on the cervidil? Like what? I was on nothing. You were just on a, on ultrasound. Just on an ultrasound. And I think, did they have me on fluids? I think they had me on oh. IV. Yeah. On fluids, yeah. Wow. And so they're like, you have to do this for your baby. No time for an epidural. We have to put you to sleep, general anesthesia. Oh, shit. And I was just like, here we go. 
Oh. I was, I just thought I was going to die. To me, that, oh. that was my initiation of like, I'm going to die. I'm not going to wake up. This is it. This is it right now. And so I'm just being wheeled into the emergency room and they stick the catheter in me, which was the worst. The anesthesiologist is next to me. The nurse that was like, kind of like my, you know, the one I thought was mm. my sweet nurse. She was there just saying, it's okay. It's okay. Anesthesiologist. He was also really nice. He was a male. And, and then I'm just hearing there, here comes my doctor. She's been waiting for this one, putting on her gloves, getting ready. There was like 10 people just do to do. It was like a movie, just calling out all the things like, let's go. This is what we've been waiting for. And then I just start counting backwards. 10, nine, eight, and this boom lights out and I'm out. Dude, that is fucked up. Oh, that is so gutting. Mm -hmm. From zero to 10 too. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is a lot to come back from. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So then what happens? So then I wake up thank God I woke up and then I hear it's a boy. My mom, thank God my mom was there. She was the one, the first one that got to hold him. And she was there while I was sleeping. Albert gets in as I'm waking up. And the first thing I say is where's my placenta? Where's my placenta? That was the first thing I said. And they said, Oh, your placenta. We just sent it down with all the other placentas. Good yeah, thing we just you sold your- it for $20,000. It'll yeah. be in your skincare products later. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I'm on to you guys. Get me my placenta. They're like, good thing we wrote your name on it. So they went down and got it. Even though oh, I had on my birth list, all the things I had that I'm encapsulating my placenta, right? So they went and I got it. So I retrieved good. my placenta and I got to have it encapsulated. So that was helpful. And um, yeah, so then I'm in the hospital healing for five days and it was just gnarly. Like recovering from a C-section is freaking like, oof. It's what's like the 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 second most invasive surgery I think after heart surgery it's one of the most invasive surgeries there is and honestly at this point I'm like on a high now because it's like I died and came back to life so for me that was like a spiritual rebirth that I went through my mom's all on a high where everyone was so nice to us in the hospital so I had a nice recovery experience they let me stay as long as I wanted they're like, you can stay another day if you want on like day four. Um, they, they all felt everything really bad kind of for my, what I went through. Um, so they were just really nice to me. And then I was out of there and just really feeling really grateful for life. Like that was my kind of, I would say lesson was just gratitude. Um, I would go through some grief. I would, the, the wave would come through of crying about what I lost and that I was essentially missed my son's entire birth that's crazy it I haven't met really anyone else except for one other woman who got put to sleep in a mom's group I was in but it's not really a story you hear often about getting put to sleep um and you can't really read about it when I try to look things up it's like the only thing that comes up are the twilight Mm -hmm. pregnancies that they were doing so what was your was or or is your take on how that went down because it's one thing it's one thing to emerge from the birth being like, thank God for life. Thank God for these medical staff that, that saved me and my baby. It's another thing to be like, thank God for life. And that was all completely curated to harm me. And I'm not saying which one it is for you, but what, where do you land on that? Yeah. And that's, that's the confusion, right? Where it lies, where it's like, could I have avoided that? What if I never went in? What if I said, no, that's the great mystery of of it all. Do I believe that my baby really was in distress? And it's like, I don't know. Right. I think that the deepest part of me thinks, no, it was all curated, of course, but on the highest spiritual level, it happened exactly the way it was meant to for my own consciousness and what I allowed to happen because starting from the Bali, going to Bali and there not being any water births, the volcano erupting. It's like every single choice and every single thing that happened led me to that moment. That's where I was in my own healing and my own consciousness. And so 
do I believe it's all divine? Yes. That's just the way I am with, with life, with everything. It truly happens the way it's meant to, or else it would have happened another way. That's how I feel personally. And that's why I didn't get accepted to the other birthing center, right? There's just so many ways of like, nope, this is the way it's happening for you to learn your lesson that you need to learn to be able to redeem yourself, whatever it is. And so three years, that was about three and a half years ago. And so the more reading I do and hear stories of someone else said that the nurse said the exact same thing to her, you have to do this for your baby. So like when I hear that, it's like, gosh, that was all just part of the, the way of the hospital. That's just what they do. And that's essentially what I allowed. And that's what happens in hospitals. And so, yeah, I chose to enter into the battlefield and I got put out. Mm. So painful. Yeah. And then also for me personally, sometimes when I think about, let's say that I got an epidural or yeah, an epidural, honestly, for me to be awake during that, I feel like would have been more traumatizing. And that's why God was just like, put her out. Because when I think about being numb from the waist down and being cut open and having that whole thing and being awake for that, to me, that just sounds like the worst. So I'm almost, that's also why I feel grateful where it's like, well, at least I was sleeping. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we're going to be raped, we may as well be asleep. If we're right. Be, I mean, sure. That's a, that's a, that's kind of like looking for crumbs a little bit though <laughs> of, a, of a pretty gnarly, a pretty gnarly, painful story. Yeah. Okay. Well, cause I mean, I know that you go on to choose like the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. And so how do you then just back to what you were naming around the confusion of like this wild, unexpected thing happens to you? Yeah. You can say three and a half years later, like, oh, this is how the system works and all of that. But who you were at that point where you were growing this baby, saying no to the doctor, declining induction, really like prepared or so you thought to mm -hmm. have, uh, you know, a, a, a normal birth in the hospital. And then this crazy thing just pulls the rug out from under you. You have a pretty dramatic surgical birth. And then this nice five days or whatever with the staff that did the thing to you. So then how in that state of confusion of like, did it need to happen? Did it not need to happen? Did they save my baby? Could I have just stayed home? Yeah, you'll never have those answers. Then I just want to skip ahead to the the woman you are three years later, where you're like, fuck it. <laughs> like, I'm going to do it at home. Right. Because ultimately it was, fuck you. I'm taking all of my power back because it was completely taken from me. Yeah. So it was a never again in my life will I ever, ever step foot into a hospital to birth, like with like the deepest fire because of what happened to me. So yeah. then that does to me imply that you know that right. that is wrong. Even if you right. are willing to like work with it and be like, it's here for my learning and like, da, 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 da. Okay, great. Mm -hmm. Yes. That's, you know, willingness to integrate like the traumas of your life. That's, that's important. And I feel like that fire kind of, and correct me if I'm off here, but kind of says that implies that you knew or, or that, you know, or that you're choosing to know yeah. on some level that that was wrong for lack of yeah. a better word. Yes. Yeah. Essentially. I feel like that. Yeah. Because if not, then be like, Oh, well, let's try it again because maybe this time it might happen now. Cause it's like, or, or no. a medical midwife to monitor the baby's heartbeat. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know. So we could come up with other, other ways that are, I think. And that's why, because it happened the way it did, I went full spectrum, right. complete opposite. I don't want anyone there. Not even a midwife, not even, no one's touching me. No one's checking me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting because when I was doing therapy after leaving an abusive relationship before, you know, this, my pregnancy, the woman I was working with, she said, confusion is your trigger. Whenever you feel confused, you need to pause and you need to step back and see, mm -hmm. because something, cause that was my childhood was confusion because my father was abusive physically, verbally, emotionally. And so loved me was at every dance recital was at every yeah. parent teacher conference. 
So that's like the same thing. It's like the Ugh. hospital abused me, but they also loved me and they took care of me afterwards. Ugh, so confusing. Yeah. So weird. Yeah. It's so weird how we replayed <laughs> Right. It's like hurting you to then take care of you. Oh, that is gnarly. But you don't actually sound that confused. Yeah. I'm not. <laughs> but, <laughs> I was yeah, because yeah you sit, sitting in the mystery and also being like fuck you I'm taking my power pack back is a pretty strong because to me that just sounds like you're saying I'm willing to accept what has occurred and learn but that doesn't necessarily mean that it was right or good things are things are unfolding abuse and horrors and evils are they're happening right we all know that and when we intersect with abuse we have an option should we be resourced enough we have an option to work with it move through it transmute our trauma and do something else you know and 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 live in our power and all the stuff that you know you and I talk about all the time and that's what i hear that you did is like you took a uh, almost unspeakable, unimaginable, zero to 10 freaking stolen birth experience. And we're willing to do the work, sit with it, feel it, and then do something different. And that doesn't mean that doesn't equal that it happened for a reason. You made it have purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Because yeah. lots of women are not making their C section births have purpose. Right. But you chose for that to be purposeful and to move you towards more healing. Mm-hmm. You could have easily just had another scheduled C-section. Right. Like my sister and, did. Yeah. And, and, yeah. and to anyone choosing that, like you do you, I don't know what your healing path is, but anyway, yeah, I'm kind of on a tangent here, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you for that. Cause that, yeah, it's powerful. And my mom had two C-sections. So I was born C-section. My sister was, and then my sister had two C-sections. So that was the story that I was also told. My mom growing up my whole life was, I would have died if I didn't have a C-section. You would have died. So that was my programming that was infused in my cells and in my bones that I also had to work through to have my next experience be the completely opposite. So many layers. Yeah. Okay. So who are you then as this new mother? And when do you start to, yeah, like dream of something different? Yeah, pretty much right away. Because anytime I would see women post and share about their beautiful dream birth, I would like feel that, like, kind of like that anger, like that sadness about what I lost. And I would see it and of course celebrate them. And it would always bring that up. And I would cry sometimes reading about other beautiful birth stories. And it was also really inspiring and empowering to hear the beautiful stories. And I would listen to the podcast, Free Birth Society podcast. And then when I found out that I was pregnant again, so interesting. So starting from the beginning, when my, when my moon, when my period was gone, I was going to take a pregnancy test. And I remember, cause I just had one lying around and then it was missing. I couldn't find it anywhere. I couldn't find it anywhere. I was like, maybe Cairo took it. Like someone played with it. I don't even know, but I couldn't find it. So I was just like, okay, I'm not going to take a pregnancy test. So starting right away from the beginning, cool. I was like, I don't need to pee on a plastic stick to tell me I'm pregnant. I am going to do this the ancestral way. I'm going to call in the strength and wisdom and power of all the women that have birthed before there were any pregnancy tests, before there were, were, was any instruments, medicalized, industrialized, whatever you want to call it, Western medicine, and really connect to my own body, my intuition, and just see what happens. It was almost like an experiment and like what happens Mm -hmm. if I just allow my body to do what it does without having anybody check me, without peeing on any sticks or in any cups or having any tests or anything done, what happens? Do we die? Like, (laughs) what happens? Keep going. We'll keep going if we just listen to our bodies and just allow them to do what they do. 
Tell us what happens, Devana. What happens? <laughs> the most blissful, orgasmic birth ever happen. Your dream births come true. You become empowered and free and liberated from all programming. It's like, wow. So I just kept going month by month, just journeying. I didn't have a midwife, didn't have a doctor. We were also in the process of moving. So I was, I knew that I didn't want to have anyone check me and have any midwife or anything because I was going to be moving. I didn't want to go through that again. Like I did with my first birth. So I waited until we moved to Austin. And right when I got here, I emailed you and said, do you have any radical birth keepers here in Austin? And you connected me with Isabella. And I also was toying, just want to see, you know me, I like to kind of just see, I had an interview online with a birthing center and right away she, she answered in a mask. And I was just like, oh God, she was wearing a mask on the zoom call because she was like coming from another client or something. And we were talking, I just wanted to kind of, you know, go through the motions and we had an, an hour long talk and, and she said, oh, you'll we'll have to COVID test you. And I remember I was like, no, I was like, I'm, I'm not going to get COVID tested. She was like, well, I don't think we're going to be a good match. So I just had to go through that feeling of like saying no and just seeing what they were doing, even at birthing centers with this whole COVID thing, just knew right away. No. And met with Isabella a few days after that and just knew right away. She's the one because of her radical feminist energy that's what I was calling in. I was calling in the radical feminist to be at my birth, the woman who was here for the women, the women, the woman who was here for the liberation of women. That is her energy. And that's what I needed with me. I didn't care what your skin color is, what your history of anything is, just what is your life mission? And her passion is what we were on the same page with that. And so I had the most beautiful um, prenatal appointments with her which included getting feet my feet rubbed with oil doing hypnosis sessions laying around and eating walnuts and snacks and talking about postpartum and going to the village prenatals that she had with other women coming in and sharing our dreams and our fears and our birth stories and it was so healing and so different from the way that I did it the last time I was like wow it could be done this way and listening to the, or checking for the heartbeat with the fetoscope and just, it was too much. I was like, I can't hear anything. I don't even care about that. I can feel the movements. Like yeah. we're good. Yeah. <laughs> and just continue to just listen to my body. Just, it was, it's such an inner journey because there's no outer anything or anyone telling you anything that you really go so deep within. How am I feeling? What's going on? And she would process some of the fears that would come up. Like, what's your biggest fear? And I'd be like, oh, that my placenta is going to stick to my scar. Kind of like the things you hear about with V-backs or with, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the risks that can happen. And she would just always just hold space and just listen to me. And I would move through it. And yeah. So she, it was amazing, an amazing prenatal experience. And I love, I love, yeah, naming the the peace around a wild pregnancy that no one outside even can give you answers because it's your own internal universe and you and your baby for the time, particularly that your baby is inside of you and to a large degree also when they're out, but it's so private mm -hmm. and only you can hear mm. like there, there is, there, there is no one else is even involved because yeah. it's happening in your internal universe. So this, this, the beauty of, of one of the, and it's really hard as fuck too, but one of the beauties of wild pregnancy is like you just named getting, getting really quiet and clear on how internal pregnancy, the richness of that, right. When we're not constantly outsourcing our stuff every which way and a, and a good authentic midwife, radical birth keeper, friend, woman, sister, a good woman holding that space will never take away. They will only add to that. Yeah. And that's what she did. I want to ask you like in that pregnancy, particularly because you have this dramatic surgery at your back, how 
Like, it's one thing to be like, I'm taking back all my power. I'm not going to let anyone touch me. But then there's the work, right, of actually doing that and laying at night and being like, okay, what if this happens? What if this happens? Okay, am I being crazy? Am I going to like, is my baby going to die? And then I'm going to have a baby that didn't survive because I tried to birth at home. Like all all that stuff that we all think about when we are making, you know, these choices. Like, what does that look like, feel like, taste like to you, particularly towards the end? Wow. Thank you for bringing this up. Cause I almost missed this part of the story. So that is part of it. And I feel like it's a meditation. It's like the biggest meditation that starts during pregnancy, not just the labor and the birth because the mind comes in. What if this happens and you have to work through it and just see them as thoughts going by, maybe process them. And yeah, what's the, the greatest fear is that the baby will die or that I will die. Right. And so one night, a week exactly before he was born, I was sleeping and I woke up to pee. Remember, it was so dark outside that I like, you have to blink a few times where you're like, can I still see? I'm like looking for a light cr- crack anywhere. And then I had the thought say it's darkest before dawn. And I remember thinking, is that real? Is that true? Anyways, and then I come, <laughs> <laughs> but just that like line came in and then I'll bear, I hear him because he's sleeping with Cairo. I hear his footsteps. He comes in and he says, it's like 4 a.m. And he goes, I just had a dream. He's like, I just had a dream that, that you had a stillbirth. And Albert's sister has died and he had a prophetic dream about her death. And so we like, yeah. yeah. And so we were like, oh my gosh. So we like talked about it for an hour. What would that, wow, what does that look like? What happens? And then he goes back to sleep. And then I start researching about stillbirths and reading about like signs and like statistics and just kind of going into that rabbit hole. And I find this article that has beautiful rituals you can do for stillbirths. And I remember I listened to your episode that you shared that was really sensitive and very powerful about the woman who shared about her stillbirth. And I remember, li- and you remember you gave a preference before saying, if anyone is pregnant, like you don't need to listen to this, you know? And I remember I'm like, no, I'm gonna listen to this. And it was really powerful and really healing, right? Even though I was pregnant, I wanted to hear that medicine, that, that journey that that woman went through. Anyway, so I'm reading on this website about different ceremonies and poems and songs you could do for stillbirth. And then I get to this section called um, all about the Jezu, the J-I-Z-O. And it's this bodhisattva from Japan that women and mothers pray to when they're pregnant because he guides the spirits of children who die in miscarriages, abortions, or stillbirths. And this statue was given to me at my mother blessing ceremony and it was sitting on my birth altar. Whoa. And so I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to have a silver. This is why this was given to me. I'll bear have the dream. And I had to go so into, oh my gosh, this is what's going to happen. God's preparing me. We're going to be like examples for the community. We're going to go through this grief and like show people our journey. Right. That's so intense. So intense, but that was the last piece that I needed to fully surrender into what was going to happen next. I had to accept that I would have a stillbirth. In order to free birth, I had to accept that that was a possibility. Sure. Because the only reason that you would trans that I would transfer would be like, oh, something's going to happen. The baby's going to die, essentially, right? So like, I had to full come into full acceptance of that possibility. Was there some part of you? when you saw your living baby that was like, like, were you thinking about it in labor? I was. Wow. And I remember at the end, like when he, when I could feel the movements, I was like, <gasps> I was so happy because I could feel he, the movement. Wow. And it was like the celebration, right? Feeling. So, okay. So now, so we're in Austin, we hear messages, you know, the news that there's a, a storm is coming. We're going to have some cold front is coming. And this is Friday, the 12th of February. And I start to feel a little bit of like cramping sensations that I haven't really felt before. And one of my friends on YouTube is also pregnant and she's doing, or on, sorry, on Instagram, she's doing squats. I'm like scrolling and I see she's like, squats are great for pregnancy. I'm like, Ooh, that sounds good. So I just start squatting and then my water breaks. I just feel <laughs> the little trickle coming down my leg. I'm like, Oh my gosh. I call Isabella. In what gestation are you? I'm at four, exactly 41, 41 weeks. I remember I took a bath that morning and that's when I started to get nervous because it's coming to like that time with my first pregnancy where it's like, you're late, you're an elephant, right? So I'm like texting Isabella and she reassures me. 
sort of someone in the community right now who is 43 weeks and, you know, I'm just like, okay, okay. And um, yeah, so I'm doing squats. I feel the trickle of water. I'm like, oh my goodness, I call her. And then we noticed there's meconium in the fluid. It's all like yellow, like a yellowish. And every time I would go into the bathroom, there would be like at the bottom of the toilet, this kind of like brownish, you know, stuff. And that was a thing for me because my sister had meconium in her fluid. And that's why she ended up like going to the hospital and getting a C-section. So it was just like, oh no, kind of went through that a little bit fear. But then just reassuring myself, it's a variation of normal. I know this. You talk about it in the guide to free birth course, which is one of the things I did. It was actually the only thing I did. I didn't read any books my second pregnancy because I didn't want any other information coming in. But I did guide to free birth and I read orgasmic birth, which was really inspiring and empowering. Anyway, and so just keep moving through. I remember saying a little prayer, just like telling baby, like, don't it inhale it, you know, just like talking to baby about the meconium. And in my mind, I was like, oh, this can be like three days long. Like Isabella doesn't even need to come yet. Maybe I'll just sleep through the night. She could come tomorrow. But then I started to feel consistent sensations. So I call her back. I'm like, you should just come. Just come. She's like, my bags are already packed. I'll be there in an hour. Thank God we said that because yeah. when she arrived, the snow, everything was ice everywhere. Our gate had frozen shut. And if she didn't get there when she did, she wouldn't have been able to get there because the snowstorm came in that night, that night and all cars stopped, all taxis, Ubers, no one was right. driving. Ubers because, weren't going. Yeah. Yeah. And so I remember I took a bath or took a shower right before she got there and I braided my hair in two braids, which to me, it felt like this protection energy of like connecting to my inner child. My mom would always braid my hair and it also felt ancestral, like the ancestors were going to protect me just like these two braids. And, um, yeah, she gets there. I'm just moving through the waves, moving through the surges and the birth tub still isn't filled up. I don't know why we didn't blow it up yet, but I was just moving through it all. Just going into my meditation. She was just so perfect. She would just come and hand me some cotton balls with peppermint essential oil or lavender. She was just very tender, soothing, um, like didn't really talk much or just and, you know, just very gentle energy in the room. And I, the position that I loved to be in was down on my forearms and down on my knees, almost like kind of like a squat on my knees, like a little froggy position. And I told Albert, go to bed, go to sleep. You guys might be up for days. And he goes, yeah. To sleep tell, and tell me about your son too. Where is he? Yeah. Is he in the home? So he's at the house, at the house. And I had a friend that was going to be on call that was going to come over to help with Cairo if we needed it. But since it was nighttime, he was sleeping with all bear. Nice. I was moving through most of my labor alone and with Isabella in the, um, yeah. So all bear was sleeping and I was just breathing. I went into just this deep meditation and then it turned into deeper, which I would say was like down in the root the sound changes. It goes lower. I remember it was this like, uh, uh, <laughs> deep sounds, two of them. And then I remember I go use the toilet and the bloody show comes. And Isabella told me later, that's when she knew baby was coming soon because of the bloody show. And then I say, go wake up all bear. Let's blow up the tub. So we, she goes and gets him. Kyra wakes up. And it's like looking for me. And Isabella just says, oh, mommy's okay. Just go back to sleep. And so he went back to sleep. Impressive. My daughter would not do that. <laughs> <laughs> looking back, I'm like, oh, I wish that he came in the room, but it's all perfect, right? So he went back to sleep. They're blowing up the tub. I'm just down there. And I remember I was like, I didn't want that much water because I knew I still wanted to be down on my elbows. So I just had them fill it up a little bit. And then I was like, that's good. That's good. And I get in, I remember I, I inhale some nutmeg. A nutmeg is a natural pain reliever, essential oil. Oh. Yeah. And it also helps with labor and contractions. And so I inhaled nutmeg. It's also a psycho, psycho, um, psycho stimulant. Inhaled nutmeg, get into the, to the tub. And then the crowning starts to happen. I remember I kind of go into the mind because this is the part I feared the most, burning the ring of fire. And I remember going, ah! And no, going, no, go back down to the low sounds. I remember opening my jaw and singing and toning. And then his head would just open, stretch it out a little bit and then go back in. And I would just wait for the next surge and it would come and his head would come and stretch it out a little bit more. 
and just come in. And it's just so amazing. It's just like an ocean wave of just letting it naturally happen and not having anyone say, posh, posh. It's like, you don't need to do that. That's what we see in all the movies, right? It just naturally happens. You don't even need to do anything, but open your jaw. <laughs> and, um, and then the head came out all the way. And I remember his head was just out and I told Albert to get in the tub and he gets in and then just a few more. And then his body just slips out in the water and he's just floating there. And I just slowly pick him up and bring him onto my chest. Albert is like, is it nature? Nature was our boy name. And we're like, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's nature. And I just put him on my chest. And I was still a little bit worried about the meconium thing. So I was kind of looking to Isabella for that. Like, do you think he's okay? Like, is he breathing? Because he wasn't crying. He was so peaceful. And then he just made his little cry sounds. And it was perfect. It was as soon as he came out, the first thought I had was, I want to do that again. <laughs> and that is orgasmic to me. I was right? just like, I want to do that again. It was mm. amazing. It was wow. so amazing. Picturing that moment of like really receiving him yeah. and knowing that you did it and that he's alive and well. Yeah. Like yeah. rewrites so much in the so. room. And your sweet partner, what a different, what a different thing to witness. <gasps> I know. Wow. I would love to hear like him share and help you know, with the men that like that experience, what they go through and like, yeah, seeing me like in a hospital, like coming mm -hmm. out of unconsciousness and then and the drive from San Diego, just being yeah. terrified. Yeah. I would imagine. Um, and then wait, so Cairo was asleep. I was asleep. Okay. And then he comes in at some point. Yeah. He comes in like in the morning, like later when, oh, nice. yeah, yeah. He stayed sleeping because baby was born at 4.22 a.m. That's kind of nice. Yeah. How and, did it go with your placenta? Yeah, so the placenta. So as soon as I got out of the tub, I sat on the toilet. Isabel's like, here, just sit on the toilet while I um, just like clean some stuff, gather some stuff. And the placenta literally fell out into the toilet. <laughs> it came out so fast. I wanted to like do something with it, but it got contaminated because it fell on the toilet so it was just meant to be buried but we actually still have it in the freezer we're going to do a ceremony but I wanted to like make a tincture out of it but yeah didn't need to so we're how good. long was your birth it was a total of nine hours it wow. I went into labor at or like uh, yeah my water started to flow at 7 p.m and baby was born at 4 22 that morning it's amazing I mean, it really, yeah, from the mech to the open waters, to the past 40 weeks, to the, you know, primary C-section, just, it's just, it goes against all the stories. All the stories. You know, all oh, the yeah. And because I'm African-American, like my OGBYN said, she's like, oh, you're African-American, so you have a higher risk for... That was the other thing I went through. She had me doing all these tests and these other peeing tests because I'm black and what she's seen. Had a higher risk of what? Of preeclampsia. Even though it was fine, she would like say that and totally. put that in my head and have me do these tests. And, well, and it's, um, it's this like really gnarly self-fulfilling prophecy, mm. right? Where you mm -hmm. tell, or not you, but like providers will tell black women, you're going to have a premature baby. You're going to have a premature baby. You're going to have preeclampsia. You're going to have hypertension, you know, and, and yep. create, put like, put the spell into yep. their consciousness, which does is going to stress any mother out. And then yep. shocker, they get yep. stressed out. It's so stupid. They kept say, she kept saying there's protein. You have protein in your urine, which is a, but you have none of the other signs, but you have protein in your urine. What did you eat for breakfast? Did you eat a lot of protein? So it was always putting this thing, you know? Like they understand what? anything about nutrition. Oh, right, right. You should just send that person, that woman, a picture of you and your VBAC baby. In the snow. <laughs> yeah, yeah in a blackout. <laughs> Because you didn't have power yeah. eventually. Okay, yeah. So after we, um, so we let we left the umbilical cord attached. We left his placenta connected for like twelve hours, and we did a beautiful ceremony. I took one bath, nice. and then we lost water. Our pipes <laughs> broke. No, and then from the snowstorm. So then we were out of water for a week, running oh. water. 
and power, our power, thank God was going on and off. So for most of the part we had heat, but a lot of people didn't have either. And we were melting snow in the bathtub to flush the toilets. And oh Isabella God. couldn't leave because no one was driving. So then a radical birth keeper was stuck at our house for four days. <laughs> if you're going to have anyone stuck at your house for four days, Isabella is a pretty, a pretty good one to have. Yep. It's such a good story though. Talk about ancestral and primal from the whole birth, the, or the whole pregnancy to the birth and to even the postpartum. Like we were putting wood in our fireplace and using that for heat. And I remember one night we, he had a heat. We didn't have any power for the whole day. And he had to use the stove, the fireplace and warm up some soup. Oh my God. And this one woman, I know she said how power of this and powerful, this ancestor brought his family back to the fire. Cause that's <laughs> literally what we were doing. It was just so ancestral. We're like in a log cabin on 10 acres. That's the house that we were at melting snow in the toilet and chopping wood. It's awesome. <laughs> it's amazing. It is amazing. Just thank you. Thank you for this work that you do. Thank you. Because literally this is the education. This is the platform that I had to empower myself to do this because it's not known and education and awareness is what shifts consciousness and your education that you provide helped to shift my consciousness. The affirmations from the Guide to Freebirth course, I listened to every single night, 20 minutes. I would do it every night before bed for the last four months of my pregnancy. And that really helped to rewire my brain. I also did the cards um, and that really helped me in the reprogramming, which is what I had to do for part of my healing. Totally. Yeah. Wow. Thank you. I'm so proud of you. It's such a cool, amazing story. And, you know, more women there will be women who've heard this story that stay home with their baby because of your story. And this is, wow. this is what's happening all over. I mean, I get emails every day of women being like, because of that one episode or that one woman's story. And then they'll just send me like a picture of them with their baby in front of the fire. Mm. It's so cool. We're using the internet for good. Yes. <laughs> well, how can women find you if they want to follow you on? Insta. Uh, my Instagram is Divine Devana. <laughs> and you're in the Austin area and you are becoming a radical birth keeper and you're an yes. coach and woman's facilitator. So definitely find her and reach out if any of you listening are in the Austin area. Yay. Thank you so much, Emily. Thank you. Lots of love. And that's it for today, my sisters. Check out everything we do, including one-on-one -on -one and group coaching. Learn about our private membership, in-person retreats, and more on freebirthsociety.com. Our online courses are on freebirthsocietycourses.com, including our flagship course, The Complete Guide to Freebirth. Don't miss the Radical Birthkeeper School if you're ready to become the authentic midwife that women are searching for. Together we rise and the revolution starts inside each of us. I'll leave you with our Free Birth Society theme song, Wild Woman by Aruba Red. I honor you for the wisdom you held, the ancient traditions of plant medicine and womb magic. I feel the spirit of the ancestors as I place my hands upon my belly. This sacred portal will be honoured. Eons upon light beams of survival withstanding the eradication of our power by design. I will not allow the separation of our young to be forced upon me. My sisters will no longer birth in captivity. The picket line redefined from burning our wild women to paralysing us and drugging our babes. Strapped down in a clinical white bed, drying up the milk from our breasts. Keep your needles. My family will never again be doomed to chase those dragons or your poison. We reject your fear. We choose love. Everything with intention. Death, ascension. I will fly and bring her back from the stars.